Let's open our Bibles where Paul was reading for us earlier, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I've entitled this Signs of an Apostle and God Ordained Authority Overall. And the world we live in today, I'll be making mention too, as it had a lot in common with a handful of rebellious people in the church who were having a real difficult time with Paul's authority as an apostle over them. And most of the book and the reason for its writing, Second Corinthians, is to address the rejection of the minority of his authority over them as, as an apostle. So let's go on. I want to read just as 11 through 13 for starters. I have become a fool. In boasting you have compelled me. For I ought to have been commanded, commended by you. For in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. For what is it in which you were inferior to other churches <clears throat> except that I myself was not burdensome to you? Forgive me for this wrong. This morning we'll look at three reasons uh, for his concern for the church in Corinth. Um, almost every chapter in Second Corinthians comes to this minority that won't give Paul this respect and he tries every angle possible to try to get their attention. So I'm finding it interesting that he is going to finish Second Corinthians by going back and sort of this is the blueprint, the overview of all of Second Corinthians. Their problem with him having authority over them. And then that's 11 through 13, 14 through 18, uh, he lets them know he doesn't, he's not interested in their money, he's interested in them. Uh, and then 19 through 21, Paul's concern not to find them a carnal. And uh, I want to remind you that it was not only the richest of the cities at, at Paul's time, but it was one of the most morally corrupt and uh, one of the reasons with this population of 700,000, two-thirds being slaves, was they had this temple up on a mountain with a thousand temple prostitutes that would come down on the weekends and they worshiped their God through sexual Misconducts. So he's addressing that issue when he talks to them about um, um, verses 19 through 21 about their sexual licentiousness and fornications which they have practiced. So he's appealing to them that you can't be called a Christian and be involved in these things and some of them were saying why not? And who do you think you are anyway? So that's the attitude. So I find it interesting that Paul has chosen to end the book 
reestating that I'm nothing, but I've been sent by God as an apostle. So I'm speaking in his authority. It's not about me, it's not about Paul, but I'm his messenger to bring you his word. And it's simply not acceptable to have sexual immorality in the church. The guy's got to go. And most of the church, what Paul wrote, um, his letter, um, they said, Paul's right. This, this guy thinks he's saved and going to heaven, and, and he's not. And the most loving thing they, they could do is, Paul says, kick him out. Turn him over to Satan and pray for the destruction of this guy's flesh. Um, and the idea there is um, he wasn't saved, and yet he was going to church every Sunday. Everybody in church knew about it. Paul's second concern is because everybody else knew about it, he says, don't you know that a little leaven leavens a whole lump? Everybody's, if, if he's coming to church, nobody's saying anything about it, they're gonna get the wrong attitude and might think that this is okay. And Paul says, it's not. And when Paul rebuked them, uh, as an apostle, the majority said, he's gotta go. But there was a small minority that were against this. I think they were proud. I think they were probably practicing these things that we just mentioned down here, backbiting, whispers, conceit, um, licentiousness, fornication. They were still practicing it, and I think they still wanted to. So as we get into this this morning, let's begin with Paul as an apostle and... um, I would like you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where we have the first verse saying now concerning spiritual gifts brethren I don't want you to be ignorant. And when you get to the end of the chapter verses 28 and 29 it just gives a partial list of some of the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives out. So when 28 as he sums up this chapter on spiritual gifts and God has appointed these in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers after that miracles then gifts of healing and helps and administration varieties of tongues are all apostles the answer is an obvious no, are all prophets no, are all teachers, no Are all workers of miracles? No. Do all have the gift of healings? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But earnestly desire the best gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. I want to begin this morning by saying there were only 12 apostles. Uh, In order to be an apostle, You had to be an eyewitness of Jesus' resurrection. Uh, There are no apostles today. This is where I'm going to take my side, a major sidetrack, and I want to expose um, false doctrine, and I'm going to name names. In particular, I'm going to be speaking about what we call the NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation. And rather than try to explain it, it's a couple pages, but I want you to bear with me 
because um, it has made major impacts around the world. Some of the largest churches in the world are a part of the new apostolic reformation. And um, um, I'm just going to read this and let it speak for itself, and then I'm going to point out a couple churches in particular that are sort of leading the charge in this. The New Apostolic Reformation, or the NAR, is a dominionist movement which asserts that God is restoring the lost office of church governments, namely the office of prophet and apostles. Leading figures in a seemingly loosely organized movement claim that these prophets and apostles alone have the power and authority to execute God's plan and purpose on earth. They believe they are laying the foundation for a global church governed by them. Uh, They place a greater emphasis on dreams and visions, extra biblical revelation than they do on the Bible, claiming that their revealed teaching and reported experience, i.e., Uh, trips to heaven, face-to-face conversations with Jesus, visits by angels, cannot be proven by the old scripture. Also known as dominionism, and I'll talk more about dominionism, exactly what that means in a minute, or uh, they're also known as the third wave, uh, Latter-day, Kingdom Now, Joel's Army Manifested, Sons of God, uh, Charismatic charismatic uh, Renewal, and Charismania. Now his founder uh, was a guy um, named C. Peter Wagner. Um, He actually caused a split, he's from Fuller, and coming out of Fuller, he caused a lot of trouble um, in the early uh, Calvary Chapel days. And um, Uh, he got involved with the Signs and Wonders movement. And at the very beginning, there was a a split, and uh, Chuck wrote (laughs) a gracely goodbye, see you later letter to the leaders of this organization. And uh, basically saying, um, this is not what Calvary Chapel teaches. And um, there are other organizations out there that are more in line with the Signs and Wonders movement, and I would encourage you to go join them. And that, I still have the letter to this, this day that, that Chuck wrote in 1981, uh, giving them uh, the left foot of fellowship, let's put it that way. <laughs> well, this is where the vineyards actually got started. Uh, the vineyards became a worldwide uh, movement, but they came out of the Calvary Chapel movement. Some of our key leaders in the Calvary Chapel movement got sucked into it, like Tommy Stipe, and was um, very much promoting it, and because of Tom's influence, it, it affected, and uh, people that were Calvary Chapels became vineyards. Well, it came to a, a screeching halt, even though there were now vineyards all over the world. Up in... Um, I think it was Toronto, where um, um, that's where the Holy Laughter movement started. Have you guys all heard of the Holy Laughter? 
Okay, so that was, that was it for Tom. He says, all right, too much, too far, I'm going home. <laughs> and I remember Chuck introducing Tom when he came back, and he said, go easy on him. And he, he's come around, so leave him alone. And, uh, but anyway, uh, C. Peter Wagner was instrumental uh, who claims that the church of the 21st century will, will be ruled by apostles and prophets. Wagner was anointed himself, uh, the new apostolic reformation's presiding apostle. Linked with the Kansas City prophets, who brought grandiose claims that a new breed of super prophets were beginning to arrive on planet Earth who would change the world forever, likewise word faith in the Pentecostal movement. Not governed by an official denomination, it was alleged apostles and prophets. Teachers that the new apostles and prophets are to be the government for the emerging new order church. Claims there will be a reformation greater in scale than the Protestant Reformation. Claims direct revelations from God and many alleged that Jesus and angels visited them in person. Some of them declared that they had visited heaven many times and had conversations with Jesus as well as prophets and apostles. The new apostolic reformation, extensive mission outreach throughout the globe has caused an astonishing church growth that is happening in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. So this is affecting, um, especially in Africa. Um, some of the beliefs, I'll just give you six of them here, um, and some of the lingo that they use. Number one, right off the bat, uh, Paul, let's keep it in context here, is saying, I'm an apostle, uh, even though I'm nothing, and I, uh, the other apostles, the, the other 11 that were there, uh, he says, uh, they don't have anything on me. I worked harder than all of them. Uh, so their belief is we're in the second apostolic age. There are new apostles on the earth today anointed by the laying on of hands to present and speak God here on earth. These super apostles are equal to the original apostles, the ones who witnessed Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and were appointed by Christ himself to the office. Since these new apostles are commissioned by God, their authority may not be questioned and if they say something that isn't biblical, their authority trumps the scriptures. Kingdom. Rather than preaching the gospel of the cross, apostolic apostles, leaders, are working to bring the gospel of the kingdom of heaven to earth. They do this taking dominion over earthly kingdoms of mountains, of governments, media, entertainment, education, business, family, and religion. Leaders often talk of uh, city building and organized prayer walks to pray against demonic strongholds. They often speak of uh, being mission-focused rather than Christ-centered. I'll just give a little example of this one here. One of the Kansas City prophets was named Bob Jones, and he actually came up to the churches I remember getting a phone call from him and he asked if I wanted to get together. I said, no. (laughs) 
Um, but one of the things that he did, he got together with some of the pastors and he would prophesy over them. And I talked to one of them and I said, well, what was it like? What was he doing? And he said, well, put your hand here and put your hand here. And then he would tell certain things that nobody else would know. And I said, well, how do you do? About 50-50. That's what the pastor told me. Um, I think some of the questions were, uh, what do you like for breakfast or something like that? And he had a 50-50 shot on some of them. But anyway, the other thing that he did was talks about taking dominion over areas. And um, he actually came when he had, he had a meeting and he took out a sword. Of course, it wasn't a sword there. And he says, I take dominion over this area for the Lord Jesus Christ and him only. Well, as far as I know, um, all the strip clubs were still open after he left. <laughs> and uh, most, nothing, it was nothing. It was, it was a show that was being put on. And, but some, um, gullible, actually bought into it. Um, revival. Revival on a massive scale is key to this movement. There's a strong emphasis on end times harvest. Though a great awakening that they can usher in, often these revivals are held in stadiums and reach millions around the world via live stream technology. They are marketed and produced like a rock concert. All scripture verses about an end time falling away are ignored and get replaced with hyped up claims about the next big thing um, just around the corner. And let me just camp on this. This is called dominionism. And it carries with it the idea is that you as Christians are going to evangelize the world and we're going to make the world Christian. And then and only then can Jesus come back. Now, you've been sitting here long enough that once a week we're talking about we're not going back. Things are never going to be the same. The Bible teaches that there'll be a falling away in the last days, not a revival. So when you hear stuff like this, um, someone was telling me they called the guy out on this, and they said, will you just look around? Um, Are people gathering more and more in churches, or are churches actually closing up the doors? No, there's a falling away, 2 Thessalonians 2. The apostasia, the falling away from. So it'll be a small minority that'll actually teach Bible prophecy, read a paper like I'm reading this morning, and naming names on top of it. So I'm getting to the names part here. Um, Apostles and prophets and other entrenched in the NAR cult. Well, Peter Wagner's top of the list, Chuck Pierce, Bob Jones, he was the one that came to Appleton. Uh, Paul Kane, um, Chuck said he knew Paul Kane when um, um, he was uh, an evangelist in California. And um, it, he would pray in closing um, at different topics. He says, Lord, you know my heart and, and uh, you know my needs. Um, you know, my needs for shoes, Lord, the size eight and a half B. Uh, I like brown, actually. And this would be his prayer, <laughs> letting everybody know. Um, so Chuck, Chuck says, I've known this guy for over 50 years, and he hasn't changed a bit. He's still on the take, and um, his name is Paul Cade. Mike Bickle from IHOP, or International House of Prayer, 
is in this camp of apostles. Um, Rick Joyner. Bill Johnson from Bethel. I'm going to come back to him. Todd Bentley, Lou Engel, Brian and Bobby Houston from the Hillsong uh, Church uh, down Australia. Um, Becky Fisher, Brian Simmons, Steve Schultz, Rob Parsley, and there's many, many more that I'm not going to list. But I'm going to camp on the Bethel Church because it's having such an impact worldwide, especially among young people. I'm going to read off 12 of their doctrines that they teach without getting into them and calling Bill Johnson out as um, a heretic. And um, very quickly, I'll go through what they, they believe and teach. Jesus was born again. Jesus had to be born again, according to Bill Johnson. Uh, Kenosis uh, basically means that Jesus set aside his divinity while he was here. Well, I have a problem with that because um, of John 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so it's clear enough, but they don't teach that. Dominionism, that's the earth being evangelized, and just the opposite is happening. Uh, The prosperity gospel, number four, health and wealth, that God always heals, number five, um, it is God's will to heal. Well, you were here last week, or was it the week before, when Paul wanted to be healed. He had a thorn in the flesh. He prayed three times. And what did God say? No. (laughs) You need it to keep you humble, Paul. And so I'm going to allow this thorn in your flesh to stay there. And Paul, all Paul wanted is to hear from the Lord. He says, great. I just needed to know what your will was. So does God always answer prayer? No. And so don't feel you have a lack of faith if you've been praying for something or somebody for a long time. Remember, every man has free will. Remember that Satan is the God of this world. And because of free will in that, uh, you're not always going to get healed. But they preach that if you're not healed, it's your fault because you don't have enough faith. So now you're heaping on a guilt trip, uh, making their problem even more grievous. Number six, number seven, uh, there's power in your words. In other words, be careful what you say because if you say something negative, that's what's going to happen to you. Well, that could be dispelled very easily. I think of King David running from Saul at Angedi, and David makes a negative confession. He says, surely this day I'm going to die. Well, if that's not a negative confession, I don't know what is. David died at the age of 70, and uh, he, he died in his bed, and he didn't die that day. Number eight, repent means to um, re means to go back and to your pent, and they actually have the idea of house there, so that you go back and you get the penthouse that you were meant to have. Now, how weird is that? (laughs) Number nine, the Holy Spirit is like a blue genie, like genie from Aladdin, and that uh, he's at your beck and call. And... uh, Number 10, all must prophesy. 
prophets um, and apostles, and you can actually be taught how to become one. Number 11, dead raising teams. They have claimed to have raised people from the dead. I, I, I know people that have been raised from the dead. I met a guy in India and I was staying at his house as I was over there teaching. And he was telling me a story. He says, yeah, I actually died. They shipped me back down to Kerala and he was up in the north and he was dead all the while they were going down there. And they, when he got down there, some brothers just thought, well, let's pray for him. And they laid hands on him and he came back to life. We're talking days, not hours, okay? So I believe that God can um, raise people from the dead. I don't have a problem with that. I have a problem with them saying it and that you can be taught how to do it. The last one, grave sucking. Well, what in the world is grave sucking? Well, that is where you go to somebody that you believe has a special anointing. You lay your body uh, on the grave and you take the anointing that was on that person in the grave and that anointing is now upon you. How weird is that? I want to caution you because there are a lot of young people that are all hyped up about um, Bethel Church in Reddings, um, California. They put on a theatrical show like you would not believe. And young people clamor to it. All right, that's my rabbit hole that we went down this morning. Let's get back to uh, having said that, uh, God has established authority in the local church with pastors, not apostles. There are no apostles today. Uh, and yet there's this movement out there claiming that there is. God has established authority in the local churches with pastors and elder boards as authority over biblically-based Christians. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. Looking at verses 16 and 17 as Paul is finishing up the book of Hebrews, he wants to put them in remembrance about something about pastors and those in authority. He says, but do not forget to do good, in 16, and to share, for with such sacrifice God is well pleased. And then he says, obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. In other words, the pastor has to give an account not only of what he teaches, but what he tells other people and how these other people are receiving that authority. Now in Paul's case, it wasn't being received by this minority. They weren't accepting his God-given authority as an apostle. Well, same in the church today where we have to give an account. Let them do it with joy and not with grief, for that would not be profitable for you. This really rubbed the rebellious minority in the Corinthian church with the thinking, who in the world does Paul think he is? Anyway, turn with me to 2 Corinthians 12, verses 11 through 13. Here, again, I'm just gonna read um, verse 11 where Paul is finishing his letter to the Corinthians, again by saying, have I become a fool in boasting? You have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended by you, for nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. 
Truly the signs an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance. So that was his authority, but he was an apostle. Now I'm talking about pastors and elders and an eldership board and um, how God has established it. For an example, I'd like you to turn to Revelation chapter two. And we have in chapters two and three, seven letters to seven churches. Uh, Chapter one is John seeing a vision of the Lord. And the Lord says, John, I want you to write seven letters to seven churches. I'm just gonna look at the church of Ephesus and I wanna point out verse one. He says, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write. The word angel um, in the Greek simply means the messenger. So whoever this messenger is in the church is told to pass this on to the people in the church of Ephesus. I believe this could be read to the pastor of the church of Ephesus right. It was his job to communicate to God's people what God was saying. But like, like the apostle Paul says, I'm nothing. I'm nothing more than a messenger. Dwight's nothing more than a messenger. And, uh, but all seven letters begin with, and to the angel of the church of Smyrna write. But the accurate um, Greek word there is simply messenger, and that's what, um, that's what pastors do. They pass out God's word. And one of our safeguards in Calvary Chapel, and the reason we do it chapter by chapter and verse by verse, it keeps us from getting away from topics that would personally offend you, talk about sin, talk about hell. That doesn't make you feel very warm and fuzzy, does it? No, but it's all, like Paul said, I'm not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God so that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for correction. And um, we believe in the inerrancy of scriptures. Okay, Um, now... I'm gonna switch gears and stop talking about apostles and Paul and pastors and I wanna talk about God-given authority, generally speaking. Um, So let's turn to Romans chapter 13. And I think going through this in a time of um, the world is living in, God-given authority, Let's pick it up, chapter 13, verses one through seven. It says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authority that exists are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil, do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good, but if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, 
for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. I would give the example of the police. They have the ability, they have authority to um, exercise giving you a ticket. Um, If you're robbing a store to arrest you, um, having said that, um, before I, I get sidetracked to where I want to go with, with the exception to this rule, there is an exception to what I just read here. And to find that, you need to go to the book of Acts chapter 4. And we have Peter and John are put into custody because they healed a man. And picking up verse 13, Acts 4, the exception to when do we not submit to the authority that is over us? And here's where. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they couldn't say anything against it. But when they had commanded them, who are they? Well, they're authority. When they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, what are we going to do with these guys? For indeed, a notable miracle has been done through them as evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them, that from now on they speak no more in this name. In other words, Jesus. And so they called them and commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. You're telling us to go against exactly what Jesus told us to do, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now you're telling us we can't do it? You judge. Do we listen to you or do we listen to God? Well, the Bible says you're supposed to submit to the authority, not if it contradicts God's word. For we cannot speak but the things which we have seen and heard. This is the Great Commission. Go into all the world, preach the gospel. Everything that you've learned from me for the last three years, pass it on. So when they had threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. So, um, yes, there are governing authorities that are over us, but um, we have, um, well, today's Father's Day. So I want to talk to the dads for a while. Uh, Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 12, again, verse 14 we'll look at, and we'll go to 1 Corinthians 11. So 1 Corinthians 11 and uh, chapter 12, verse 14 says, Now for the third time, I am ready to come to you and will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours, but you. Now catch this. For the parents, that's mom and dad, ought not to lay up, for the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. So it's Father's Day, and one of the things that um, Paul is telling the church in Corinth 
is parents set some money aside for the kids. So when you're gone, they, ha- they have something. Don't have it the other way around where the children are laying it up for mom and dad. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We have an order of authority in 1 Corinthians 11 verses 1 through 12. Paul says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions that I delivered to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. This is the authority structure that the Bible lays out. Every man prophesying or praying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, for that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if she is shameful, uh, a woman to be shaved, let her become covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head since he is in the image and glory of God, but woman is in the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman is from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. So I'll stop right there. Um, well, let's read 11 and 12 too, I guess. Nevertheless, man is not dependent, independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as the woman was from the man, even so the man also through the woman, but all things are come from God. Well, how politically incorrect today is that statement? All right, girls, now I want to talk to you a second, just so that we're clear on this structure, authority structure, and, and uh, I'm going to have you turn to the book of Galatians chapter 3, so let's keep it in biblical context here. We'll be getting into Galatians next week. Unless you misunderstand what I just said about being under the authority of your husband. Let's read Galatians 3, verses 27 and 28. Um, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And once you become a Christian, then there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. So what is being said here is even though there's an authority structure, um, it doesn't carry with it the idea that a man is any better than a woman. You're all the one in Christ. Good place for an amen. All right, let me compare it to you this way. Just for the sake of order, let's go to the army. Let's go to the four-star general on top, okay? And then you have thousands of people that you have to give instructions to. So you have a four-star general, <laughs> and then you have a private. And the private comes up and says, well, general, I, I don't think that's such a good idea. I think I got a better plan. Well, he's the general, <laughs> and you're the private. 
Imagine if everybody had their own opinion and it wasn't an authority structure. And you say, yes, sir. And you do what the general says. The general is not a better person than the private. It's an issue of authority, not of one being better than the other. Is everybody with me? Ladies, let me speak to you. I'm asking you to encourage your husband to be the head of the household and to go along with it for no other reason because it's biblical and actually encourage um, your husband to take that leadership role because that's what the word of God teaches clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, as we wind up this morning, um, I want to look at the reality of the world in which we're living in. Our woke world, everybody with me with woke? Woke is sort of a woke generation that doesn't want any authority. What they believe is what matters, and no matter if you have truth or whatever, if they have their perspective on it, it's their perspective, and they're going to do what they want to do, and they have no regard for it. Look what's happened to our, our police. We've defund, uh, defunded the police department. And so what has come about as a result of that? Complete lawlessness. For broad daylight, people will go into a store, take whatever they want, and just, they don't run out, they walk out. Why? Because they know they're not going to jail. They know the police won't arrest them because they're told not to. That's what our woke generation has come down to. Why? No authority. The authority structure has been taken away from them. That's the, the reality of the world that we live today. Now, the Bible foretells this where Jesus said in the last days it would be like the days of Noah. I want to show you what the days of Noah were. So go to Genesis 6. We'll just read a couple verses. As it was in the days of Noah... So it will be, uh, Genesis 6, verse 5. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent or thought of his heart was only evil continually and the Lord was sorry he had made man on earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. They had left off uh, the authority of God's word and his law, and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Does that not uh, define the country in which we're living today as we watch it going farther and farther down the hill? Claude Schwab um, economic reformance, they're not, they're not even being quiet about it anymore. They're coming right out and saying, we're going to create a one world government, period. And we're gonna destroy the financial structure in your country. And um, boy, could I get sidetracked on talking about that um, because of the financial crisis that was created in Russia with the $350 billion now affecting banks around the world. We talked about this quite a bit in men's prayer yesterday, and um, I was surprised how many guys had heard what I heard, that um, there's a real good possibility very shortly 
that if you got money in a 401k or in bonds, you might do your little bit of homework right now because that could all get eaten up and you might not ever see it again. That's a lot of the talk that's going around right now. And um, it's all a result of, of um, the generation in which we live in which authority is simply not there. Um, lawlessness. Um, what do you think is going to happen after Roe v. Wade is made official? They're already marching in the streets before it's happened. What do you think they're going to do after it's passed? And uh, you're going to see rioting and looting like you've never seen it before. I could talk about mass shootings in school across the country, some of them being planned with absolutely no concern for the kids for one reason, to take your guns away. Take your guns away, it's that simple. And um, um, they want to, as the authority, be the authority over you by telling you, we don't want you to have anything. You're going to own nothing and be happy. That's, that's, that's a saying that's going out there today. And um, in Shanghai, if you haven't heard this last week, they closed every bank in Shanghai. And now there's run, runs on the banks all across China in the branches. But the 26 million plus people in Shanghai, not one bank is open and you cannot get $1 out of a bank in Shanghai. And again, be a Brian, do your own homework, but it's having a domino effect in London where now places they're talking about having, um, um, Wall Street right now is very concerned because they see this trickle-down effect that's happening and they're worried about people taking all of their money out at one time of their 401ks. This would create a financial crisis. And this is real-time stuff that, that we're living in. But this was the one that got my attention the most as far as just how bad things have gotten. This is, her name is, she's Michigan's Attorney General. And this is her picture. Her name is um, Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel reportedly said Wednesday that drag queens make even everything better and that they should be a drag queen for every school during an event in Lansing. That's a picture. Anybody else hear that besides me? Yep. Well, this, this is uh, this, this week's news. So where is all this heaven? Yeah, this is, I said, I said it wrong, but I said it right. I meant to say, where's all this headed? But I said, where's all this heaven? Well, that's the answer. If people don't know the Lord today, they said, we were in Daniel, uh, yesterday a man's prayer, where the hand appeared and he had the writing on the wall, and Daniel interpreted it, meaning, meaning, tickly farson. And we use it as an expression today. We can see the writing on the wall. Well, what is it? Well, we're going down, eventually. I can't put a time frame on it, but it's inevitable. Um, 
but while they're going down, the Lord is going to be taking us up. That's the blessed hope. By the way, what was the next event that happened after man's heart were only evil continually? World judgment. And yet Jesus says when the last seven years begins, he says it'll be a time that has never been or will ever be. Whoa, what about the flood? Worse than the flood. And that's what the world is going to be entering into. Why? Judgment. Well, we're watching these things. I call them predecessors. We're actually living in a time where we're seeing these things unfold right before our very eyes. So when these things begin to happen, easy question. Do you see them happening? Then what? Look up. Look up. We have a blessed hope. And so let's, let's finish the book of, of um, 2 Corinthians by reading the 13th chapter. Paul is pretty much um, let them know he's concerned about their carnality. I, I'll just read his final concern before we get into it. Verses 19 through 21. Again, do not think that we excuse ourselves to you. We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, beloved, for your edification. For I fear lest when I come I shall not find you as such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish, lest there be contentions and jealousies and outbursts of wrath, self-ambition, backbiting whispers, conceit, tumults, and lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of their uncleanness, fornication, and there it is. It evidently, it's still in the church. You guys haven't repented of it. And licentiousness, which they have practiced. And then we close out um, um, Second Corinthians with I think a time of encouragement. This will be the third time I'm coming to you. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word will be established. I have told you before and foretell as if I were present the second time and now being absent, I write to those who have sinned before and to all the rest that I come again, I will not spare. Since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, who is not weak towards you, but mighty in you? For though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we who are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Examine yourselves as to whether you're in the faith. Prove yourself. Do you not know yourself that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? But I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. For I pray to God that you do know evil, uh, not that we should appear approved, but that you should do what is honorable, though we may seem disqualified. For we can do nothing against the truth but for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. And this is what we pray, that you may be made complete. He just wanted them to grow in the Lord. Therefore, I write these things, being absent, 
lest being present I should use sharpness according to the authority. So the book actually ends with Paul once again telling the church that it's God's authority that's working through me, which the Lord has given me for edification and not for destruction. Then the conclusion. Finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all and all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Heavenly Father, on this Father's Day, once again, we, we pray for our, our fathers. And um, we thank you for your word of encouragement that gives us um, a God-ordained authority for the family. And how, as we pray for the fathers this morning, that they would understand that it is a God-given authority to take the headship and be the leader of the house. Once again, reaffirming that it's not one better than the other because your word clearly teaches, male or female, slave or free, we're all one in you. It's not an issue of one being better than the other. It's simply an issue of an authority structure. Lord, we pray for our country, um, for people's salvation, because uh, we see the writing on the wall and things are not gonna be going back to normal. So for those of us who know you, um, we look up, we thank you for the blessed hope that uh, you have chosen not to take the bride of Christ into the great tribulation period. Your word clearly tells us that um, uh, we've been delivered um, from the wrath that, which is to come. So we thank you for your blessed hope. I pray for um, us as we leave First and Second Corinthians and we make our way into Galatians. We thank you so much, Lord Jesus, that you've given us your word. And um, again, that faith that we have comes by hearing and hearing comes by your word. Help us to grow, Heavenly Father, in the grace and the knowledge of who you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.